inviting him to surround us, wash us, carry us onward in his love. In your program this morning, I hope you'll take out your sermon outline. Follow along in the text there. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to begin just with the first question of verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And if you're reading, you say to yourself, you should say to yourself, what things? <laughs> what, are, what are these things? What do we say to these things? Well, let's think about what are these things. And you remember, over two months ago, we were back in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, and we studied the squatter. There's a squatter who lives in the basement of your soul. The squatter is this unwelcome person who has no right to be there, but he's moved in, and he makes a mess of things. You don't want him to be there. He makes a mess. He won't leave, but he has no right to be there. And it's so frustrating to you. It's what Paul calls the remnant of indwelling sin, and it's so frustrating to him. He cries out at the end of verse 7, who will deliver me, wretched man that I am, from this body of sin and death? And then God plays his trump card. He plays his trump card. And Paul shouts out, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he catapults into our chapter, chapter 8. And it's taken us two months just to get through Romans chapter 8 in understanding how to evict the squatter and how to live a life free before God. And we have called it like a forest. We've been hiking together through this forest of the trees of Romans 8. And in that first verse, Paul answers it, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Your guilt is taken away. And then in verses 2 through 14, he, Paul unpacks it further, and he says God sent his Holy Spirit into your heart. And that Holy Spirit works then progressively to evict the sinful nature that's in your life. And the Holy Spirit brings the same life into you that rose Jesus from the dead. And not only that, then in verses 15 and 17, we come into this, in the forest of Romans 8, we come into this beautiful pasture. And there's picnic tables everywhere. And there's a family reunion. And we are told that the Holy Spirit moves in your heart the spirit of adoption that you've been adopted, not just forgiven, but adopted into the family of God. And you look around and there's, there's black people and white people and Asian people and Hispanic people and Caucasian people. And they're all speaking the language of love. And Papa, Papa is there at this family reunion welcoming everyone. And the spirit in your heart cries out, Abba, Father. And then we're told the Holy Spirit prays for you because there's suffering. And remember, he talks about the present suffering. 
and you groan. Sometimes you groan, don't you? And you know what the Holy Spirit does, we are told in Romans 8? The Holy Spirit groans for you. And his groan, if your groan is, oh, his groan is deeper. And he intercedes for the Father. He prays to the Father for you. When you don't even know the words to say, God's Spirit is alive inside of you, interceding. And there is future glory for the sufferings, Paul says, of this world, and they are real, are not worth comparing. And he takes us where? To heaven. Not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us in heaven. Where not only in heaven do you know the forgiveness of your sins, not only do you know freedom from the power over sin, you will be delivered in heaven from the very presence of sin. Glory. And so, Paul now says, what shall we say in view of all these things? And now we pick up in our scripture reading. Paul goes, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What shall we say to these things? Paul takes out his Gatling gun. Now, you kids here, you do not know what a Gatling gun is. But the Gatling gun was the great technological advance that took the single-shot gun and arranged a crank on it about 150 years ago. A crank on this was the first machine gun. And from going lock, load, aim, fire, lock, load, aim, fire, the Gatling gun was And Paul brings out a Gatling gun here at the end of Romans 8, a Gatling gun of questions. So on the front side of your sermon outline, you experience, you see these questions, one right after another. And the power of this passage is in the words, yes, but it's also in the delivery of it. For Paul is now just overflowing. And he's, John Stott puts it like this, he flings out these questions to the universe and says, I dare you to answer these questions that would challenge the security and the victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The first one, verse 31, who can be against us? Well, where does he answer that question? He answers it in the first phrase of verse 31. And what is that phrase? If God is for us, who can be against us? I remember back in, in junior high. I liked junior high. Nobody picked on me in junior high. But it wasn't because I was anything special. In fact, I was pretty scrawny in junior high. But nobody picked on me. Because I was friends with Big George Aberay. And George was big. <laughs> and he was my friend. And when I was walking around, George was with me. And nobody messed with George. <laughs> Paul takes it a hundred times more. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this is not new. This is the people of God. No, North Shore Community Church. Do you know? Do you know the Psalms? Do you know the prophets? Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And King David, Psalm 118. Do you know this verse? I love this verse. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But Paul's just getting started with the Gatling gun. He goes to the next question in verse 32. And he says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How, how will it not be that God will give you what you need in this life? And how does he answer this? He answers it with the first part of that verse as well in verse 32. What does it say? Look at it with me. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It says he did not spare his own son. Where did he not spare his own son? Where did he, the word used there is give him up. Where did he give him up? I hope you are able to be with us at our very powerful Good Friday service a week and a half ago on Good Friday, because at that time, what we did was we remembered the place where God gave up his son for us, and that was the cross. And we came together, we put this cross down front, and, and each of us had a medallion of crimson on the one side that displays our own sinful nature, the reality of our sin, for the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, then we are told in the New Testament that through the blood of Jesus Christ, they shall be white as snow. And we came up and we took the red side and we pressed it against the cross and the white side shone on the outside representing the righteousness of Christ that covers us. This is the gospel. This is where God gave up his son for us. He did not spare his son. And there, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. 
and he bowed his head. That is, he surrendered to the Father. And then he received the wages of sin. What is the wages of sin? Paul taught us the wages of sin is death. And he died and took our wages. Yes, Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Jesus died the death we deserve to die. God gave him up. You know, there's an old Puritan that I'd like to read. His name is Octavius Winslow. I'd just go to hear a man preach if his name was Octavius Winslow. I love that name. And Octavius Winslow, he reflected on God giving up his son. He says, you know, the New Testament confuses us a little bit about who gave up Jesus. And he says, didn't Judas give up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Then he says, doesn't it say that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, gave up Jesus to be crucified out of fear of the people? Doesn't it say that the religious leaders gave up Jesus because of envy? And then Octavius Winslow says, no. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jewish leaders out of envy. God the Father gave up his son out of love for you and for me. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And then the second part. Now do you see? Since he gave us his son, won't he give you what you need? He gave you the most precious, the most costly. Ray Stedman writes, and I actually I put it in the reflection in the bulletin. He, he, he thinks about this and he says, if someone thinks enough of you to give you a costly, brilliant, beautiful, flawless diamond, Do you think he will object when you're asking for the box (laughs) that goes with it? Right? Yeah, if you got that diamond shining, shimmering, and you said, "Um, could I have the box that it came in? Well, sure. He'll gladly give that to you. And since he did not spare his precious son, he will give you what you need and all things with it. Philippians 4.19 It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the 23rd Psalm teaches us to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will graciously give you what you need and all things with it. Then the Gatling gun Bam, bam, bam. Keep shooting. The next question and the, the, the fourth question, there are courtroom questions. The next question would be heard in front of a judge. And Paul says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? Down there in verse 33. What are the charges that might come against people? We've already explored that in our study of the book of Romans. They bring a charge that says, you are guilty. For you have committed sins. You've done things you should not have done. You failed to do things you should have done. Here is the charge, Your Honor. They are guilty of sin. There is a charge. You are ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself. Has anyone ever said that to you? 
Have you ever said that to yourself? Every Christian who is awake on occasion says, I can't believe I said, did, thought, acted like that. I'm so ashamed. Your Honor, he should be ashamed of himself. We feel inadequate. We feel inadequate. You do your best, you try your hardest, and just sometimes, it's just hard to put that next foot in front of the other. Your Honor, he has not measured up. The charge is brought. Now, uh, our friend out in the Hamptons, Mark Middlecoff, the church we helped to plant out there, Mark, he, he likes to talk about this, and he's not as delicate a preacher as I am. Uh, Mark is a great guy. But he was uh, talking with me about this passage, and Mark says, you know, there are millions and millions and millions of dollars spent on Long Island in therapy for people who are trying to deal with their guilt and their shame and their sense of inadequacy. And he says, counseling is good, therapy is good, it's not a bad thing. But he says, if you just go to a therapist and the therapist does their best to say, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, just do your best to convince yourself that God loves you and, uh, and that you're, 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 you know, you're all, you're all right. Just try and talk yourself into uh, feeling a little better about yourself, Mark Middlecoff. He said, John, that's like trying to put lipstick on a pig. Because all they are encouraging is denial about the problem and confusion about the solution. And they'll, you know, they'll drink a shot of denial and they'll chase it with all kinds of excuses. Mark says, so Mark, you need to soften up a little bit. But maybe he doesn't. Because the charges against God's elect come, you are guilty. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, day and night, we are told. And my sin is before me, and my shame wells up inside of me. My sense of failure and inadequacy in my own personal history strikes, nags it, nips at my heels. So how does he answer it? Listen to the answer. He says, it is God who justifies, it is Christ who justifies. And he speaks of the legal work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One more time, living the life you should have lived, dying the death you deserve to die. God says, your honor, not guilty. No more shame. And you are made adequate by the one who was perfect for you. So, the gun keeps shooting. If it's no longer your guilt and shame, then you can know deep you are so loved by a God who has chosen to love you. You see yourself in a whole new way. And he says, who will condemn? That's the next question. Condemnation? And the answer is stunning. Look at the answer. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And it is this compact statement of the work of Christ 
completed for you, presently in operation now. Oh, friends, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, that was the largest crowd we ever had in this church. Where's everybody? But, But if you were half awake last week, remember that interesting moment when uh, Mary meets Jesus outside the tomb and she runs to embrace him. And then there's that strange statement. Jesus says, do not cling to me. Remember, I said sometimes there are other translations that don't quite get it right because it says, they translate it, touch me not. (laughs) Like Jesus is some sort of apparition or He's about to invite Thomas to touch him. Jesus was very tactile uh, in his own ministry. It wasn't that he didn't want to be touched, but what? Do you remember? His work was not yet completely finished. The work of Christ is the sum total of all the great parts of the work of Christ. Remember? The incarnation, the substitutionary death, the amazing resurrection and triumph. And then he said to Mary, he explained Don't hold on to me because I am ascending. I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. My work is not done yet because I have to get there and intercede for the Father, uh, to the Father for my people. And this, this is so wonderful because what you see, it's like the great, the greatest law firm ever, the greatest law off. It's a, it's a law firm with two branches. There's a heavenly branch and an earthly branch. What a law firm. I want to hire them. And this law firm has an advocate. The word here he's interceding is the word paraclete. It means the advocate who comes alongside you. Christ is interceding. It's the word paraclete. Para alongside of you. There's the advocate there. And Jesus is at the heavenly office interceding for the Father. And we were told earlier in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, groaning and interceding, we are told, for you as well. I don't know how much they charge an hour for two offices working full-time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Jesus, the paraclete, interceding. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, interceding for you, earth side. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will not be condemned. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. There it is, paraclete, with God, the, with the Father. Who is that advocate? the senior partner in the greatest law firm ever, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So now, Paul is beside himself. It's like the symphony that crescendos. And he, and he shouts out, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There in verse 35, the final climactic question. And how does he answer the question? What he does is he again explodes with this list of things that might happen in your life. Things, Christian, that you might face in your life. Sufferings that the members of the church go through. I look around this room and I know 
that there are people going through tribulation, suffering, difficulty, frustration, anxiety, guilt. And what does he answer? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Yes, he's quoting from Psalm 44, verse 22, that says the people of God may even be like sheep led to the slaughter. Actually, this is such a comprehensive statement of what you may, and you should have your eyes open, may endure. As a Christian, he talks about pressure from the world. Anybody here under pressure? At work? At home? Your parents never satisfied? Your children, you can't do enough for them. They're always wanting more. Your boss never is satisfied. You ever feel pressure? He says there's tribulation. There's difficulty. And then he talks about just physical problems. And it couldn't get worse than nakedness or famine. Okay? That's bankruptcy and your house burned down, and your clothes are gone, and there's no thrift store in your town. Nakedness, famine, hard things happen to Christians, but it gets worse. For he says, for many of you, the sword will come, and to all of you, death is inevitable. (laughs) You know, I I guess I'm finally middle-aged, I suddenly realized I, 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 I don't know very many 118-year-olds. I think I'm past middle age. My own mortality is becoming, uh, I'm becoming aware of it more and more. It happens to every one of us. He says, these things come against us, but can they separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what did God tell his people in Isaiah 54, verse 10? I want you to hear it today. This is not just a New Testament idea. This is God's faithfulness to his church in the Old and the New Covenants. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace will not be removed says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So he flings these questions out to the universe. And what do the opponents of your soul answer? They are silent. They cannot dissuade you that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? As a result, what do we learn? that our security is in Christ and our power comes from Jesus Christ. And we live very differently because we are secure in Him. You know, I don't remember, was it 100 years ago that they built the Golden Gate Bridge? It was a fantastic engineering exercise. And, And the Golden Gate Bridge was built in two phases. In the first phase, it was really slow. And a whole lot of men died in the building 
of the Golden Gate Bridge out in California. Uh, they fell off. <laughs> they fell off the spans on which they were working and perished, drowning below. And then the work was halted and the engineers got their act together. And then, you know what they did? They put a safety net. They strung a safety net under the entire bridge. Instead of guys falling off to their death, until it was completed, there were about 10 more men who stumbled and fell off the bridge and landed in the safety net. Now that's well and good. But for us task-oriented type A people, do you know what else happened? I'll just tell you this. Productivity for the workers accelerated even more than 25%. And the operation began to get ahead of schedule as the men worked with confidence. They looked forward to coming to work. They didn't worry anymore that this might be their last time that they see their wife and kids because there was a safety net under them. They were secure in what they knew. And the Golden Gate Bridge was completed, a magnificent operation, American ingenuity at its best. Security. That's what we get in those five questions. And now Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors you see, through him who loved us. And the word conqueror, we translate it, we trade it more than conquerors, three words. It's one word in the Greek language. It's an interesting word. It's the word hypernikon. Nikon means conqueror. Hyper, what does hyper mean? Any of you have kids? What does hyper mean? Hyper means intensely energetic. Hypercurion. Now, I don't read Latin, but, but R.C. Sproul reads Latin, and, and in the Latin translation of that word, it's translated supervincius, super conqueror, superman. I like that. The Christian is more than a conqueror. He is hyper. He is super conqueror through Jesus Christ. Conqueror over what? Does that just mean you're now strong enough to go uh, uh, rob a little old lady on a street corner? Uh, Are we conquerors like in Islam where they go with the sword and they advance Islam with the sword, the bloody borders? No. That we are not that kind of conquerors. We conquer through the power of love and the power of the gospel. And we go with the power of God in our souls. And so you wake up in the morning. And what do you conquer? You conquer temptation. You conquer fear. You conquer challenges. You conquer parenting issues. You conquer dealing with your mom and dad. You conquer as you live. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive in you. God is for you. There is no charge that can be laid against you. There's no condemnation for you. Temptation comes. Temptation to lie. To cheat in school. To take what doesn't belong to you. Temptation to dishonor God by screaming at your children. Temptation to disobey your parents. Temptation comes. In Jesus Christ, 
you are more than a conqueror. He becomes the hub of the wheel of your life and he transforms every spoke on the wheel of your life and makes you new. You have fear and anxiety. Everyone has anxiety. But you overcome the sins of fear and anxiety by turning to him who loved you and trusting him. And you join the chorus. Can you do this and say, let men and devils do their worst. Even if there's danger or sword, if there's a sword that comes against you, you say, are you ready? You say to them, you can't take my life because I've already given it away to someone else. For me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. You know that verse? We are supervinctimous, hyper-conquerors when the sanity returns in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice how it happens. Through him who loved us. This is so crucial. The key to being supervinctimous, Sproul says, and he's right, is through him, and then it says, who loved us. Two parts. First, through him. And I tell you what, you will never become supervinctimous by just reading uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Might be a good book. Self-improvement, New Year's resolutions will never make you supervinctimous. It's through him North Shore Church, remember that pastor that was critical of us? Because all you people ever talk about is Jesus. Well, that's because it's through him. And then it says, who loved us. And I want you to be secure, as we sang over and over again this morning, in the love of him who loved you and gave himself for you. Galatians 2.20 says... Romans 5, 5 through 8. It took five chapters of Romans before he mentions the love of God because he needed to give you all of that. And then he says, and hope does not put us to shame. Here it comes. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is how you are a conqueror. His love is poured into your hearts and suddenly your anxiety dissipates. Your temptation becomes less and you step forward in faith and you are a conqueror. You know, I just have to say this. In the book of Revelation, there is a description of the angels paying attention to you. This is interesting. In Revelation 12, uh, the angels are uh, talking It says they're speaking to you in the heavens who dwell in them. So somehow there's conversation going on in heaven about Christians here on earth. Revelation 12, verses 11 and 12, about these Christians. And they have conquered him, the devil, the accuser, the tempter, the liar. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the cross. They are aware of the cross. They are living with the victory of Jesus in their souls, conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they preach the gospel back to themselves. Who are you listening to? Speak the gospel to yourself every day. For they loved, here's the angels talking. Those people, those people at North Shore Community Church 
they loved, their, they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. I was at one of the home fellowship groups this week and we heard a story about a man with AIDS. And he would go to this clinic week after week for a number of years, but he deteriorated. And the doctor said to him, we have finished all of the medical options for you. And the man got very angry. And the, he storms out the clinic. He goes down the hall by the front desk. And then he turns to the nurse at the front desk and he said, that doctor took away all my hope. And the nurse, who had seen him for a few years, she put her hands on his shoulders and said, then it's time for you to find a better hope. And that's my question to every one of you here. Have you found the great hope, the better hope, the source of peace and power to live? It's Jesus Christ. It's time for you to know this better hope. For there is nothing, there is no one greater. You see, friends, we were not made just to survive. North Shore Community Church, we are survivors. I look around this room, there are survivors in here. But this passage teaches us we are not just to survive. We were made to thrive. We learned a new song in this church a couple weeks ago. In that song, it says, we were not just to survive, to live ordinary lives, but we are hyper-conquerors, super-venturous through him who loved us. Joy unspeakable, faith unsinkable, love unending, everything, everything is possible. Do you believe today? I invite you to believe. To bow your heads with me now. There are, let's bow our heads. There are very few moments in your busy, busy lives when you can say, Lord, I want to be that supervinciumous walking forward with you as my king. And so now, Lord Jesus, we believe. No one can bring a charge against us, not because we are so great, but because your Son, the Lamb of God, has taken away our sin and has justified us, has raised, been raised from the dead, has ascended to the Father, his coronation complete, and now interceding for us. This is our place. We pray for power. We pray for grace. We pray for joy. We pray for love. We pray that tomorrow morning we will leave our houses and go to school and go to work and go into, the, into our neighborhoods. People will say, I want what you have. Would you give that to us? In Jesus' name, amen.